0: Hello, and welcome to Whale Rider. Again, my name is Kim Gilio, and I am your host. So today, what I'm going to talk about is um, more about my call into the pro-life ministry. Um, On the last episode, I kept saying, I'm not gonna talk about abortion, I'm not gonna talk about abortion, and then I did a whole lot. So I figured I would clarify on this episode of how I was called into that ministry. So going back to the beginning, I was raised primarily by my father, a single father, which that's different in itself. But at the age of 15, he was going through some stuff. We lived in Tampa and he decided to send me to live with my mom about an hour and a half northeast of where we live to a small town. And so begrudgingly, I went, it was, um, I remember I had gone to high school for one week uh, with all my friends that I had always gone to school with, and um, he had decided, you know, that he needed some time, and so he decided to send me to live with my mother, and that might not sound like a big deal, but I hadn't lived with her since I was seven years old, or actually six years old, and I was now 15 years old and so, um, and I was going to live in a new town, a very small town, something that I wasn't used to at all. And so, um, I went to live there and, um, started high school, went, made some friends, um, one particular friend, but, um, and just kind of realized that all of a sudden I had a lot of freedom that I didn't have before. My dad was very strict, very authoritarian, my mom wasn't anything like that. Um, And so pretty soon I, you know, started going out all the time, made friends, we were even drinking, um, smoking cigarettes, um, and staying out all night, you know? So by the time I was 17 years old, I had met my first kind of real boyfriend, and um, my dad had always told me when I was younger you know, um, not to listen to boys, all the things that they would tell you all the things that they wanted. Um, and just to be careful, you know, of them. And so I, I listened to him and, um, I was the last one of my friends to lose my virginity. And, um, but I had started dating this boy. He was, um, maybe two years older than me. And, um, And we had been dating for about eight months and um, all of a sudden, you know, my dad had told me all the reasons that I shouldn't have sex except for the reasons that God says, you know, Um, we were supposedly a Christian family when I was younger, but we never went to church and we never read the Bible and we never prayed. So I don't really know what kind of Christians that made us. I had no knowledge of God whatsoever. And so, and not trying to blame my dad. He was doing the best that he could. Um, But, so he told me from his perspective why I shouldn't. But he never told me from God's perspective why I shouldn't. So I'm dating this boy for like eight months. All of a sudden he starts pressuring me. Um... And nothing that my dad said was true anymore. He wasn't, you know, using me. He seemed to love me, blah, blah, blah. So um, we became sexually active, and within one month, I was pregnant. Um, I didn't know what to do. I wasn't even 18 years old. Um, I I didn't want to talk to my dad because I was scared to death of him. You know, because of the way he had talked to me about pregnancy, about children, he had said things like, um oh, you don't want to get pregnant. Um, that's a, like a um, ball and chain around your ankle. Um, and if you have a child with someone that connects you to them for the rest of your life. So now all of a sudden I'm 17 years old and I'm pregnant. And these are the, the things that are going through my head. And, and so I'm just scared. Like I didn't have any maternal feelings at all Um, I think I was just too young and immature. All it was was fear. I was just scared. I was just scared that my dad was going to find out, even though, you know, he lived like 90 miles away. But um, so in my mind, I just had this really big problem. And I needed to take care of it, you know, and so uh, not seeking any adult counsel, you know, because, um, I just didn't i had a lot of friends and when i talked to my friends several of them had already had abortions and we were all under 18 and so um so that's just what i decided i was going to do it was against the wishes of my boyfriend who was you know the father he really did not want that his parents were the same age that we were when they got married they were 17 and 19 Um, and they had gotten married and had him and so I think he kind of wanted his life to look like theirs but um, I was just again so fearful and really immature and selfish and I didn't want any part of that you know and so against his wishes wishes, I um, had an abortion one of my friends took me down um, to the place it was in Ocala and you know, I don't I don't remember a lot about that day I knew it was wrong, you know, as it was happening. Um but then once it was over, you know, um our relationship lasted, I don't know, another year or so and then we broke up and and so I just buried it. You know, I didn't ever want to talk to anybody about it. Um it was just something that happened and it was over. I didn't want to talk about it. And so when I ended up moving back to the city I was from, to Tampa, when I was 20. So a couple of years have passed. And now I'm not living in the same town. I'm not seeing my friends that knew anymore. And so this was just going to become a secret. You know, like, um, I was just going to bury this and, and never talk about it again. And so that's pretty much what happened. I um, just went on with life. Um, I would become a Christian much later at um, 27 years old, right before my 27th birthday. Um, and then things kind of moved quickly after that. A couple of years later, I met my, um, who I would marry. Uh, we got married, we had a child right away um, and it was, when I became pregnant with that child, that all the, um, memories of that time came back. Um, because as I said before, you know, um, nobody is more pro-life than the enemy after you've had an abortion, but nobody's more pro-choice than the enemy before you've had one. And so, um, all of a sudden, you know, I'm realizing what I did and I'm feeling shame from it. I'm a Christian now. And, um, and I really felt that God was starting to press on me about it, you know, like to speak to somebody about it. And I just couldn't, you know, I had really good friends that were in the pro-life ministry. I just could not, um, talk to them about it. I was just too ashamed. I was really just really ashamed about it. And so a few years went on and then it finally came to the point that I just knew that God was calling me to, one, get healing for this, because it is something that's traumatic. Um, The terrible thing about abortion really is that most of the women that have them are very young. They're teenagers or right after 18, before 20. I can't remember the statistics. I've read them before, but the majority are just very young girls. And so this is a really big decision, a a really a life altering decision. And a lot of times it's made just purely out of panic and out of emotion and out of fear, just like me. And so you have this, you know, basically a child that makes this decision often, you know, doesn't seek adult counsel. And the world has just become so enamored with abortion, you know, because it's from the enemy. And, um, and the reason I say that is because we know that God is the creator of life, right? Um, we know that he formed us from dust. Um, in Psalm 139, it says that, you know, he knit us together in our mother's womb and that he knew us before we were born. You know, there's examples in scripture Um, Jesus was named before he was born. You know, he was prophesied about before he was born. John the Baptist was named and prophesied about before he was born. Um, uh, Jacob and Esau, you know, were prophesied about before they were born. And so biblically, we know that we can look and that people in the Bible, the child in the womb was a person. You know, there was no, um, arguing about it the way there is today, you know, um, today people want to tell you, oh, it's a, uh, it's not a, uh, a child until it's born. And, um, when it's, uh, still forming in the womb, um, it's just a fetus or a zygote, um, a clump of cells, they will even say, um anything but a child right because if it's a child then everybody has to admit that it's wrong and if you admit that it's wrong then something has to be done about it and so it's become this really huge um, polarizing issue that you know divides people um, divides people even in the church and it really comes down to you know who's your authority is, is the Bible your authority or not? Because if the Bible's your authority, um, there's not a lot of wiggle room on this issue. You know, if God creates life and he says not to murder and he is sovereign and he is perfect and he doesn't make mistakes, then that means that every child that is conceived, no matter the circumstances, and that's the whole thing, no matter the circumstances, then that child is ordained by God to live. Now, You know, people have miscarriages and all kinds of things happen that could make the child not come to fruition or um, pass away early in life, but that is still up to God. You know, as a believer, we have to come to the point where we say, um, okay, I might make a mistake, but God, you don't. You know, and if I became pregnant with a child, then that child has been ordained by you. Um, to be created, and who am I to take the life of that child? If I think that I have the right to take the life of a child that God created, then I think I'm more powerful and more wise than God, right? Because I think, oh, God made a you know made a bad decision, or um, God didn't make a good decision, right? That's the other thing um, our culture has done is made us kind of. Um, turn on our own children you know the women that are so passionate about choice as they like to call it and reproductive issues they like to call it um, they've really begun to see the unborn child as their enemy and for every woman that's ever had an abortion you know that unborn child no matter who the father was uh, you were the mother you know, and so that that's actually your own offspring. That's your own child, and um, it's not your enemy, you know, but that's what all this rhetoric around this issue has created. Um, there's just so much deception around the issue and so many lies, um, and it's just become a political issue when really it's not a political issue. Before it's a political issue, it's a spiritual issue because, again, God is the creator of life, and if God creates a life, then who is man to take that life? Um, but so it's become, you know, this big, big war, you know, especially political. But um, so back to my circumstances. So I, I made this choice. Later, I have a, I'm, I'm pregnant with my first child. Now all of a sudden, I'm dealing with all these emotions. And I finally come to the point that I know that the Lord is calling me out. And um, the way that I remember feeling that way, one, is one day I was praying and I just knew that God was really dealing with me and wanting me to share my testimony, you know, to talk about this because it was part of my testimony. Um, And I just couldn't do it. I was just so ashamed. And I remember I had my Bible up and I was crying and there's a psalm. Um, 34 I believe and it says um, I, I was just crying out to the Lord and I was like I can't do it I can't tell people I'm just too ashamed and um, the verse that came to my mind I believe it's 34 7 I don't have it in front of me was um, those who look to him are radiant their faces are never covered in shame and I remember just knowing that God was talking to me and comforting me and encouraging me you know um, just to do the right thing and the reason that it's important is because there are so many women that are bound in shame over this issue. They, again, maybe when they were a teenager, very young woman, they, you know, they bought this lie or they they made a decision out of panic, and now they're much older, and you know, maybe they didn't even have faith, and now they they understand where life comes from, and so they're dealing with all kinds of shame and guilt over it, and um, and so that shame and guilt you know, has to be given to Jesus. Um, even this is a heinous sin. It really is. Um, women were not created to destroy their own children. They just weren't, you know, um, we were made to nurture. Uh, we are the only ones that can, um, uh, you know, create life inside of our bodies and, um, and then sustain that same life with our bodies and, that's what we were created to do, you know, to be loving and to be nurturing and to be protective. We were not created to destroy our own children. But again, the enemy has so overtaken this issue that he's convinced women, you know, that it's their right to do this. Um, and so it's really a sad thing. But, um, so I finally am getting up the courage to tell my friends, my good friends, um, you know that i have an abortion in my past even though i've participated in the walk for life with them and raised money for pregnancy centers and all this stuff i finally decide that you know they're the first people that i'm going to tell and then um and then i have to go to the leadership in my church because i worked at my church at the time and then um there's a author who wrote bible study a christian woman named pat layton And she wrote Surrendering the Secret like 20 or 25 years ago. And it's a Bible study, a post-abortion Bible study um, for women to get healing. And so um, she happened to be doing a seminar, not a seminar, a conference at a church nearby right at the time that I had finally, you know, come to terms with it and told my friends. And so uh, it was called Imagine Me Set Free. So I go to this conference. It's on a weekend. And uh, I go by myself, you know, and I, I'm there. And she starts talking about the need for healing to go through this healing because, in my mind, I didn't need healing. I knew that I was forgiven at this point. I'm a, um, I've been a Christian ten years or so, and so I understand that I'm forgiven. Um, and I really didn't think that I needed to go to any kind of healing class. And so I remember she posed this question to everybody in the conference. She said, okay, and I know maybe you're thinking, oh, I don't need any kind of healing. Um, And then she said, okay, if you're so healed over this, who have you told? Right. And it was like, oh my gosh, you know, nobody, like it's a, it's a deep, dark secret that I won't share with anybody. And she was, then, then you're not healed. If you can't talk about it, you're not healed, you know? So I decide that I'm gonna take this class. I go through a class um, in, you know, as um, the way that that I find that God works, right as I'm deciding to take this class, one of my best friends, actually two of my best friends that we actually meet together regularly on Wednesdays um, just to talk and fellowship while our kids are at church, we began talking and sharing and all three of us have abortions in our past. And the one has just gone through healing and she's already at the point where she's sharing her testimony. So she decides to go through a healing program with me. She decides to go back through the class this time as a co-leader, um, to go through it with me. And then she later leads our other friend through the class as well. But so, um, when you get to the end of the class, the challenge is like okay so what will you do now like you so now you've gotten your healing you understand that you're forgiven you've reconciled yourself you know to the past but now that God has given you this freedom and know that you know the truth about the choice that you made what will you do with that with that knowledge what will you do with that you know so the challenge is um, how will you get involved kind of in the in the pro life, you know, it's what we call it movement. And so honestly, a lot of people, because Pat Layton, aside from writing that Bible study, she also started a pregnancy care center here in Tampa and um actually had two at the time. Um and so she a lot of people would decide that they wanted to volunteer in a pregnancy care center. Um one of hers actually and so that's the route they would go. And so um, automatically, I knew that wasn't really right for me. One, the hours didn't work for me. I already worked in an office nine to um, three, and the office hours of the pregnancy care center were like nine to four. So I couldn't even get there for the training, and I knew that I really wouldn't be available to help during their time. So... I was on the lookout for other ways that I could begin to share um, my story. And so as it happened, it was the time for the yearly fundraiser for this particular pregnancy care center. And actually they had just merged with another bigger um, care center. So now they were part of a group of five um, called New Life Solutions. And they were having their annual fundraiser like a banquet and um, my husband and I had just reconciled after a year long separation. And I had told him when we were reconciling, look, um, I'm going to have to be talking about this. You know, God has really been working on me in this area and this is going to be part of my life. So you need to know that before we even talk about, you know, reconciling or whatever. And so he was fine with that. Um, he hadn't been before he hadn't been early in our marriage, but that's something else. But Um, So we go to this fundraising dinner, and they always, you know, they always pick, like, a mom that has uh, decided to have her baby, and she's usually on the front of the, like, magazine they send out when they're beginning to fundraise, and and a lot of times they'll have her come and share her story or whatever. And so this particular girl was sharing, you know, um, how she decided – you know, not to have an abortion. She was on the way to an abortion clinic. And when she went to turn in, there was a lady standing outside with a sign that said, I regret my abortion. And so she just like burst into tears and, you know, didn't even make the turn. She just drove home. Well, after that, she contacted the pregnancy center and then she made an appointment. She went and had an ultrasound um, and she ended up you know, staying with them throughout the whole pregnancy, she had her baby, of course, she was so happy that she had decided, you know, to have him. And, um, and so it was a great testimony for the pregnancy care center. But for me, it was also a great testimony of the woman on the sidewalk, you know, the woman holding that sign that said, I regret my abortion is really was the catalyst that was used to stop her before she even got to the Pregnancy Care Center. Um, and I didn't know much about that ministry at the time, but that was considered um, far more radical <laughs> of a ministry choice than you know uh, volunteering at the local pregnancy center. But I really felt moved that night at that dinner. And I was just sure that that's what God had called me to do. And so as I began to share that, um, not really knowing anything about what what that was, you know, that that was called sidewalk counseling, um, that there are different ministries. One is called 40 Days for Life. Um, later, one would be um, created called Sidewalk Advocates for Life. And that the, those people that were on the sidewalk that day, that's... Um, that's who they were with. Um, the woman holding that sign, that is a ministry called Silent No More. And you have to have gone through a healing class to be able to hold one of those signs. They have different ones. They have ones that say like men regret their abor- regret abortion or women regret abortion. But if you want to hold one of the ones that actually says, I regret my abortion, you have to get it from them and you have to have gone through a healing class to be able to hold that sign. And so, um, so I started researching the different ministries um, because I had also seen some of some bad examples of people being on the sidewalk that I I knew I didn't want to be part of that. And so, um, there's another ministry. I'm not even going to say its name, but they um, they believe that. They're the ones that hold the signs that have like aborted fetuses on them, and they're um, much more harsh. They they believe that it's sharing the gospel in and, in and, um, holding those signs, and they are not part of the pro life movement in that they believe that they are above the pro life movement, and they really don't want anything to do with regular pro life people. Um, uh, I could say a lot about them, but I won't. But um, they often would make regular people ministering on the sidewalk look bad because they seem to be very unloving, very callous, um, even cruel. And the ministries that I would soon go on to participate with, 40 Days for Life and Sidewalk Advocates for Life, they both believed in... You know dignity towards the mother and and reaching out in love and um that if you wanted to reach a baby if you wanted to save a baby you needed to go through the mother first and so um they did not believe in those same methods but you know when people drive by an abortion clinic and they see people outside they don't know the differences you know they don't know like oh Oh, she's a sidewalk counselor. She's with Sidewalk Advocates, you know, or Oh, they're participating in a 40 days for life and they're just there to offer prayer, you know, or um, or oh, this is that other ministry. You know, nobody knows that. They just they drive by, they say they see people outside and because some of the examples are not so Christ-like or great, um, they judge the whole ministry harshly. You know, they they put us all in one boat. And so that's kind of unfortunate, but that's, that's the way it it goes. But so I had gone through the healing class. I, now I feel called to the sidewalk. And, um, I even at a missions, we had had a, a speaker after a missions conference that called everybody up to the front of the church to pray over them. And he was really specific. He said, if, um, I want you to, you know, pray about ways that you can get involved in missions, um, and you know, and just obey. And then even my pastor prayed after that, and he prayed more specifically that you would um, pray in anything that God might speak to your heart right now, that you would that you would embrace it. And the reason that it was kind of a big deal to me is because for five years I had been involved in Muslim evangelism to women who came to our ESOL program. I would um they would come to the ESOL program, which is a county run program to learn English. We had refugees on one side, like of the hallway, and then there was regular ESOL learners on the other side. And they would come, you know, every day to learn English Monday through Friday. And then we would host special events like once a month. Um like hospitality events. Um Based around our holidays and things like that, but just as a way to get to know them and to you know share love with them and um, and ultimately to share about Jesus, you know. Um, and so I kind of spearheaded that at that time, and that was my passion. I, I loved that ministry. I I loved getting to know um, Middle Eastern women. They were just really some of the kindest and just loveliest ladies that I ever met. And um, and I, I loved, you know, throwing these parties for them. I would, um, like say it was around Thanksgiving, you know, we would put on a big Thanksgiving lunch for them and, and we would, um, you know, create a menu like what we would have, you know. Sometimes in ministry, people tend to go cheap, you know, because I don't know why we do that but we tend to go cheap and but I didn't want to do that I wanted to show them honor you know and um, and show them that they were important especially a lot of them being refugees like having lived in really hard situations and having really had a hard life and so I just really wanted to like really kind of lavish on them um honor and that um that they were special you know and so i loved that ministry (laughs) like i just i loved what i did Uh, i worked at a church but i was allowed to do those lunches they became part of my job and um um, it was just it was the sweetest time honestly in ministry that i ever had It, it was just like the highlight of everything that i did and so when i went forward you know, for these pastors to pray after this missions conference about what God might speak about, you know, how to get involved. Honestly, I, I was a bit prideful about it because I already knew what God called me to do. You know, I had been doing that for five years. I was really good at it. Um, I I loved it, you know, and and so I just kind of pridefully went forward like, oh, you know, I work here. I'm supposed to do this, you know, and, and I'll, bow, I'll bow my head and pray. But you know, I don't expect to hear anything because, hey, uh, unlike you people, <laughs> you know, I already know what I'm supposed to do. And so I was really shocked when I prayed and I, I felt I heard the Lord say something else. You know, it actually, and it kind of shocked me. Like I heard it so loud. It had to deal with abortion and like sexual sin and and, in which I know that some people would say like abortion is not a sexual sin but abortion almost always stems from sexual sin because most of the time the people in an abortion clinic it's not a married couple you know that have just decided that they don't want to have their child sometimes it is but most of the time it's not most of the time it's you know just like me some teenage girl who you know shouldn't have been having sex to begin with. And now she's pregnant and she's scared to death of her parents. And so she's, she's, she's going to make this decision, you know, this life changing decision. And so when I heard that it, it really took me off guard uh, and I was shocked at first, but then as, as I began to think and pray, I was like, this is what this this is about, you know, I've already been feeling like God wants me to share about this and to get healed about this and to start speaking about this. And so, so I went to my church and, and I told them and, um, and, and that is how I got the call into the pro-life ministry. Um, and so, yeah, so what I would say is Even if you feel like you know what God has called you to do, don't be surprised if God out of nowhere calls you to do something else, you know, and I'll go into more about that at another time. I don't want to talk too much longer, but, um, yeah. And so I would just say, I would make the same challenge to you today. You know, what are you doing for the Lord right now? How are you, um, on mission for him? Have you, have you prayed and asked him, God, what is it that you want me to do? Because you might be like me and you might be, um, you might be sure of what you're supposed to do, but if you believe that God still speaks and if you believe that God, that you can hear him when he speaks, you might be surprised. He might ask you to do something different. So thank you again for joining in on the Whale Rider podcast.